Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you. It's always great to be here at Connection Point, and I'm especially thankful to be here on this weekend before Thanksgiving, before that holiday. It's actually my favorite, or one of my favorite holidays of the year. It takes me back to the farm where I grew up, and I remember how my mom used to make homemade noodles, mashed potatoes, rolls with butter on them, low cholesterol meal, you know. My brothers and I weren't sure what cholesterol was, but we knew if you deep fried it and put butter on it, it would be good. <laughs> but, you know, there's something about Thanksgiving. I love the food, but I also love the mood. You know, uh, on this Sunday before Thanksgiving, it's maybe it's kind of the attitude we ought to have all year round, just kind of a sense of gratefulness and expectation. The kids maybe are coming home from college and the families get together and dads get a chance to try out all of our dad jokes, you know? Do you have a dad who tells dad jokes? I'm a dad who tells dad jokes. I'm a dad, I am a grandpa. So I'm gonna start this message with a dad joke, okay? I hope you don't mind. And you dads can feel free to use this one this week if you want. So two guys are walking across a farm field and an angry, angry bull spots them and starts chasing them across the field. And one guy yells to the other one, we need to pray. That bull's going to, you know, you, you got to pray. And, and the other guy says, I don't know how to pray. He says, you surely you know something. He said, well, I remember the prayer that my parents used to say at the dinner table. He said, that'll do. Just pray. That bull is closing in. And so the guy prayed, Lord, for what we are about to receive, make us truly grateful. <laughs> now, I know that's a corny joke, but you know what? It kind of sets up the theme of what I want to talk to you about today because there's a verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, where the Bible says, give thanks in all circumstances. In all circumstances, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, if you have a Bible, I want to urge you to open it or the Bible app on your phone to Philippians chapter 4. That's where we're going to spend most of our time in God's word today. But the truth is, while the scripture tells us to be thankful in all circumstances, how do we really act? Do we really go around every day counting our blessings? This Friday, on the day after thanking God for his blessings, shoppers will crowd into stores and fight for iPhones, toys, and flat-screen TVs. And you know, I've often said that we get it wrong because we set aside one day a year for Thanksgiving, and then the rest of the year we gripe and complain. Maybe it would be better if we just set aside one day a year and called it Gripes-giving day, and then... We get all of our grumbling out of, the, you know, out of our systems that one day, and then the other 364 days of the year, we could be grateful. That's what we're really like, is we're, we tend to be more grumbly than anything. But you know what? The truth is, and I really want to say this from my heart, I know that for many of us, Thanksgiving is a tough time. The holidays are a tough time. Maybe for you, the holidays make you feel lonely, and you feel apprehensive as we head into the holiday season. Maybe a day like Thanksgiving actually amplifies your grief this year because it brings back memories of somebody that you miss. Maybe the holidays remind you of a happier time in your life. Maybe Thanksgiving is tough for you this year. Truth is, it's hard sometimes to be grateful. For example, it's hard to be grateful when the world is in chaos. I mean, the economy is unsettled. The supply chain is stressed. Political parties are divided. 
Basic honesty and kindness seem to be in short supply. There is a ton of tension and division in America right now. And the Bible tells us that it's going to be this way. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Bible predicts that people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful. Whoa, what's that word doing in there with all these other sins? Ungrateful. Unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. It's hard to be grateful when that's the kind of thing that's going on. The Bible said it would be that way, but when the world seems to be falling apart, it's hard to be grateful. And it's hard to be grateful when people aren't getting along. Now, there's a lot of this happening right now. There's road rage on the highway, angry confrontations in restaurants and on airplanes, quarrels on social media. Maybe you're a little bit nervous even this week at the thought of all your relatives gathering together. Maybe you're hoping that people will get along, but they sometimes do not. And it's hard to be grateful when you don't feel joyful, when you don't feel joy. According to Psychology Today, the average three-year-old laughs 40 times a day. Now, that just kind of makes me chuckle to picture a three-year-old laughing throughout the day, 40 times a day. But you know what? The average 40-year-old only laughs three times a day. What happens to us as we go through life? Even with the pandemic, the coronavirus, think of it, it deadens your ability to enjoy things. If you get COVID, it attacks your taste and your smell. Oh, no, I love to taste good food. I love to smell pumpkin pie baking in the oven. The pandemic has stolen or depressed some of our joy. Now, I generally am a person that loves to laugh. I have a sense of humor and all, but I've gone through times when it's been hard to smile and when nothing seems enjoyable. I know what it's like to be depressed and discouraged. Maybe this Thanksgiving you are struggling to feel joyful. And it's hard to be grateful when God seems distant. Now, I think it must be hard to be an atheist at Thanksgiving time, because if you feel in your heart the impulse to be grateful, but you don't believe there is a God to thank, that's a real dilemma. Actually, I feel sorry for you, because I, I, I love to know that there is a source of every good and perfect gift, and that is the God who created us, who loves us. That helps me to know who I say thanks to during this season. But even if you do believe in God, there are times when God doesn't seem as close or responsive. The prophet Habakkuk prayed, how long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. It seemed to him like God was distant. Even on the cross, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Maybe right now, you know how that feels. And it's hard to be grateful when worries fill your mind. Somebody said, sometimes trying to quiet your fears is like trying to tuck an octopus into bed. I mean, there's just so many things going on. And have you ever noticed how worries just seem to be worse in the middle of the night? You wake up about three in the morning and it's just, there's just so many things that disturb your mind. Charles Spurgeon said, anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but only empties today of its strength. It's hard to be grateful when you're worried. 
or when your circumstances aren't what you want them to be. Maybe you wish you had a better job or a bigger salary or a healthier body or a newer house or a happier family. Well, all the things that we just mentioned are why I appreciate Philippians chapter 4 so much. Because everything we just talked about is something that's addressed. All these problems that make it hard sometimes to be grateful are addressed in this chapter, Philippians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul starts the chapter by saying, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Now, you might want to underline in your Bible the phrase, in the Lord, or in Christ Jesus. Because as we go through this message, we're going to see over and over again in this scripture that that phrase, in the Lord, or in Christ Jesus, appears in Philippians chapter 4. And the first point that Paul wants to make here is that when the world is in chaos, you can stand firm in the Lord. Verse 1. Don't waver in your faith. Don't give up your convictions. Develop some holy stubbornness. Dig in your heels and stand firm in the Lord. Now, let's spend just a little bit of time with that phrase, in the Lord. I was trying to think of how can I explain this, what this means. See, it's a biblical way in the Bible. In the Lord is a way of describing the close personal relationship that God wants to have with us. When you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is in you, but you are also in the Lord. It's kind of like the clothes that you wear. Right now, you're in your clothes. Everywhere you go, you have, you're in those clothes. Uh, it's in the Galatians 3.27, the Bible says that when you're baptized, you're baptized into Christ, you clothe yourself with Christ. Or it's kind of like the uniform that somebody in the military wears, so that everywhere they go, anywhere they go in the world, they're in uniform. They are identified by the country that they're serving, the country they belong to, the country they're defending. Or to take it yet another step, it's like armor that a soldier would put on to protect them against harm. So everywhere you go, you are surrounded, you are protected, you are in the Lord. Or it's like the air that you breathe, the environment where you do your work. So when you go to work, you're not just at work, you're not just in an office or in your truck or in a meeting, you are in the Lord. And when you're at school as a student, you're not just in class. You're not just in the cafeteria or in the hallway or the locker room. You are in the Lord. It makes all the difference when you see that about your identity in the Lord. Now, I want to show you a picture. On the left, actually, it's two pictures. On the left is a picture of Hong Kong in 1967. It's mainly a big valley with some trees and all. On the right is Hong Kong now, today. Wow, how it has changed since just a few years ago. It's amazing how it has changed over the years. Now here's another picture. This is a telephone. <laughs> now for some of you of a different generation than mine, I need to explain that you couldn't Access the internet through this. <laughs> it was also impossible to stuff in your pants pocket. <laughs> you didn't carry it around with you. It, was, uh, it had a landline, you know, that hooked into the wall at your house. And this, it's amazing how technology has changed. This was a telephone. Well, let me show you another picture. 
this is a family that I know. Actually, this is my family. When I, and guess which one I am? That's my dad and my mom and my two older brothers. I'm the happy little baby there, smiling. <laughs> my wife just chuckles. She just laughs whenever she sees that. You know, that, that's my, my brothers being all stiff and stern and me just, hey, everybody. <laughs> but my mom and dad are now in heaven with the Lord. And my brothers are older than I am. How things have changed. Cities change. Technology changes. Even our families, loved ones change. But look at this, Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He is our constant. How can you stand firm in a world that is in chaos and constant change? But even when the world is in chaos, we can stand firm in the Lord. He is our firm foundation. Well, what about when people aren't getting along? Well, let's go on in Philippians chapter 2. You can love them in the Lord. You see, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter we call Philippians to a bunch of Christians, people just like us, who lived in a Greek city called Philippi in the, in the nation of Greece in the first century. And he writes to them this letter, and two women in the church were not getting along at all. Paul, in fact, calls them out. And it's a little bit embarrassing. It had to be for them because this letter was probably read aloud in the church. And Paul, the apostle, mentions them and calls them out by name. Can you imagine if I were speaking right now and I called you out by name? <laughs> he, tells, he tells them. And by the way, this is the only time these two women are mentioned in all of the Bible. And the main thing we know is that they were at odds with each other. So Paul says in verse 2, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Euodia and Syntyche, not two common names that we use much. Euodia literally meant good odor or a pleasant smell like a perfume. You know, Euodia, the new fragrance from Calvin Klein. You know, it's, <laughs> Euodia was somebody who had something pleasant about her, but Syntyche, it almost looks like soon touchy. You know, I don't know what was going on between these two, but they weren't getting along together. And so Paul says, be of the same mind, how? In the Lord. In the Lord. There's that phrase again. In the Lord, you see people different. Your relationships with people are different. The way you react to people is different. The way you'll respond to your family, even the difficult relatives this week and over the holidays. It's shaped by the fact that you are in the Lord. Jesus even said to love your enemies. When people are hard to deal with, even your family, you don't have to agree on every opinion, but you can love them in the Lord. What about when you don't feel joy? Well, then you can still choose to rejoice in the Lord. In fact, it's a famous verse here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. The apostle Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always, not just when everything's great and comfortable and nice, but always. And then I will say it again, he says, rejoice. It's almost like he's writing this. He writes it down. He says, yeah, they're going to have a hard time with that. <laughs> so I'm going to say it again to encourage them, to challenge them. Again, I will say it, rejoice. And where, notice where he says and why. Rejoice in the Lord. There's that phrase again. Always rejoice in the Lord, not in your circumstances, not in your money, not in your possessions, 
not in your intelligence and abilities. Rejoice in the Lord. Listen, rejoice requires a re-choice. You have to choose over and over again to live according to the joy that God provides. This is a command of scripture, so it must be something you can control, something you can decide to do, not just something you just kind of slip into, but something you choose to do. Now, the fact is, if you go back and study American history, that's the way Thanksgiving and its observation has always been in our country. It's really quite interesting because the Thanksgiving holiday has always been celebrated during tough times. People had to choose to be grateful. Go back to the first, what we often call the first American Thanksgiving. In November 1621, the pilgrims and Native Americans got together and fasted and feasted to celebrate their successful harvest. You know something that's interesting I haven't heard anybody talking about? November 1621, 400 years ago this month, was that very first American uh, festival of Thanksgiving. But you know what? If you go back and study the history of it, it wasn't because everything was so great. It had been a tough year. And even when they feasted, they didn't eat pumpkin pie. In fact, the historians say their menu included seal, lobster, swans, all kinds of things that they ate. But the point of it was they were just grateful to have survived for another year. Then in November of 1789, General George Washington declared a day of thanksgiving right after the Revolutionary War. All the hardship that was involved with the birth of a new nation, and after all the hardship and difficulty, they said, let's stop and give thanks to God. In the early 1800s, there was a woman named Sarah Hale, who was a magazine editor and a writer. She was the person, interestingly enough, who authored the nursery rhyme, Mary Had a Little Lamb. And Sarah Hale... For decades, for years, she lobbied the officials in Washington, D.C. and said that we need to have a national holiday devoted to thanks to God. Finally, in November of 1863, President Abraham Lincoln declared a national day of thanksgiving during the height of the Civil War. The Civil War happened from 1861 to 1865, right in the middle of that. At the depth of their pain and suffering, at one of the darkest times of American history, Lincoln stopped and said, but... Still, God has been good to us. Let's give him thanks. On December 26, 1941, President Franklin D. Roosevelt officially signed into law a bill that made Thanksgiving on the fourth Thursday of every November, the way we celebrate it today. Congress passed the law, and FDR signed it on the day after Christmas, December 26, 1941. Think about that. If you know your history, what had happened in American history just three weeks before one of the darkest days in American history, Pearl Harbor, the attack on Pearl Harbor happened just three weeks before, but they said wisely, they said, you know what? In spite of everything, World War II is getting started. They were just coming out of the Great Depression, but they said, but look at all the blessings we have to be thankful for. Let's set aside a day to reflect on that. The point is, Thanksgiving and hard times are not mutually exclusive. They actually go together. It is in the midst of hard times that Thanksgiving even means more. Thanksgiving is not just a day for gluttony and self-indulgence. It is a day to enjoy our blessings, but especially to give serious thought to the way God has blessed us in spite of our hardships. Earlier, I mentioned the prophet Habakkuk. 
and how he complained and wondered why God wasn't listening to his prayers. But if you go to the very end of this book, Habakkuk at the end of the book says, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice where? Why? In the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. He made the choice to rejoice. Rejoicing is a choice that we make. I'm a baseball fan, and uh, as a baseball fan, I know the name Cal Ripken Jr. Some of you may recognize that. Cal Ripken played shortstop or third base for the Baltimore Orioles in 2,632 consecutive major league games, a record that will probably never be broken. He was nicknamed the Iron Man. Over 17 straight seasons, he played through sprained ankles, a hyperextended elbow, a herniated disc in his back, and a twisted knee that he suffered during an on-field brawl. One time before the game, a teammate slipped and accidentally rammed his forearm into Cal Ripken's face and broke his nose. They reset his nose, and he started the game. An unbelievable record of playing even when he was hurt. Cal Ripken is in the Hall of Fame, but not mainly because of his batting average or the number of home runs that he hit. He's mainly known for just showing up every day and faithfully doing his job. He kept playing even when he was hurt. In fact, Ripken says that he played some of his better games when he didn't feel so great. Sometimes you have to play hurt and you choose to rejoice in the Lord while you pray for the feelings of joy to come back. And God has a way of restoring those when we get that in the right order. Well, continuing Philippians chapter 4, look at verse 5. It says, let your gentleness be evident to all. That's a good reminder. Going into the holidays, when people interact with you, let it be obvious to them that you are a gentle person, not a hostile person. But I love what the last part of that verse says, because notice it addresses another problem we spoke about earlier. When God seems distant, we can remember, we need to remember that the Lord is near. You may not see him, you may not feel him, but the promise of God's word is that the Lord is near. He's closer than you might think. One of my daughters used to live out in the Seattle, Washington area. We'd go visit her in the summer. It was so beautiful and the skies were blue. And you could see Mount Rainier off in the distance. It's this beautiful mountain. When the sun is shining and the sky is blue, it's just glorious out there. But my daughter would call me up in the winter and say, Dad, if we have another gloomy, cloudy, rainy day, I don't know what I'm going to do. Because the winter is very foggy and cloudy out there. And so they have a saying out in that area. The saying is, even on the cloudy days, you got to live like the mountain is out. Well, that's good advice. Because by faith, we know that God is there even when it doesn't look like he is. Some of you might right now be in a very foggy, cloudy time in your life, but let me assure you, God is there. By faith, live like the mountain is out. In Hebrews chapter 13, it says, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Archaeologists have found some tiny little tear bottles 
from the first century AD, around the time of Christ. These were tiny little things. They were carved out and shaped. One of them looks kind of like a raisin. The other one looks like a little cluster of grapes. These tiny little bottles are called tear bottles because in ancient Rome, women would try to collect their tears in bottles like these when they grieved for a loved one who had died. Or they were sorry for a husband who had gone off to war and they were worried. Those make me think about and appreciate the prayer in the Psalms where David said these words. You keep track of all my sorrows, God. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. The Lord is near. He understands what you're dealing with. He cares about your tears. He understands your sorrows. But what about all those worries that keep you awake at night? Well, when worries fill your mind, you can still find peace in Christ Jesus. Look what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, in that one verse, verse 6, Paul uses four different words for prayer. There's the word prayer, petition, thanksgiving, and requests. And it's interesting, the order that he has, he says, with thanksgiving, present your request. That almost sounds like it's out of order. We would usually say, I'm going to make my request, and if God gives me what I want, then I'll say thank you. But this says, with thanksgiving, present your request. So in other words, thanks comes first. You thank him in advance, even though you don't know how it's going to turn out. Isn't that an interesting little point? With thanksgiving, present your request. So you don't say, well, if it turns out okay, then I'll give you thanks. No, you start by giving thanks no matter what. You say something like this, Lord, I don't know whether you're going to heal this sick person that I'm praying for, but I trust you, and I know you care. I don't know how you're going to fix this impossible-looking situation that I'm in. I don't know how things are going to turn out, but God, I know based on your word that you've promised that you're working all things together for good, so I'm going to give you thanks even as I make my request. Did you ever notice that the word think is related to the word thank? He goes on in the next verse, he said, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Think and thank are actually similar words, and you go back in the history of them, they come from the same basic root. Because what you think determines how you think and how much thankfulness and gratitude is in your heart. The way you think is what he talks about in the next verse, verse 8, when he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. When you focus your mind on things like these, it is much easier to be grateful. And when your circumstances then aren't what you want, you can still find contentment in the Lord. Now, if you want to feel a little bit better about your own circumstances this year, let me tell you about what happened to a woman named Ruth Hamilton who lives in British Columbia in Canada. Just this past summer, she went to bed at night. Suddenly, about 11.35 p.m., she heard a loud crash, and her dog started barking, and she woke up, and they found a meteorite about the size of a softball had plunged from space, crashed through her roof, and landed in her bed, narrowly missing her head. 
<laughs> she didn't get a single scratch. And experts said, well, the chance of that happening, that a meteorite would actually land on your house and land in your bed, it's about one in 100 billion. Hey, you maybe have had a tough year, but you didn't have a meteorite land on your pillow this year, all right? I thought that, wow, it must have been. And, then, and she said, well, it scared me to death, but then she gets to keep the meteorite or sell it, and it's worth a lot of money now. There are very few of those that, so, so it's actually turned out okay for her. So if you think you've had a rough year, at least you didn't have that happen to you. But guess what? If you want to feel a little better about your own circumstances this year, what about the circumstances of the person who's writing this letter to us? You know, the Apostle Paul wasn't just sitting in a, in a comfortable library somewhere saying, hey, you all just want to be happy and cheerful and everything. He was in jail. We call Philippians one of his prison epistles, one of his prison letters. Paul was in jail not for doing anything bad. He had been doing the right thing, preaching the gospel of Christ. And for that, he was thrown in jail. He was chained to Roman guards. One time, when he was in the city of Philippi, he got beaten like with baseball bats, like with a policeman's billy club with rods, and he and his friend Silas were locked in chains and stocks in the innermost part of the prison. That's the kind of thing that Paul is talking about. He had gone through that. And yet in the letter to the Philippians, 10 times he mentions joy, and 42 times he mentions Jesus Christ. Paul wasn't just in prison. Paul was in the Lord. In fact, did you catch the part earlier in verse 7? He said, the peace of God will guard your hearts. That's just interesting because he was under guard. He had Roman guards chained to his arms, and yet the best guard that he had was the peace of God. Paul goes on and he writes in verse 11, I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. He said, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. If you want to learn the secret of contentment, and notice he says it's something you learn. He learned to be content. Then you need to notice God's blessings, even the little ones. Do you realize that you take about 23,000 breaths of air every day? When's the last time you thank God for your lungs and your nose and your ability to breathe? You know you have about 10,000 taste buds? Aren't you glad this week with all the good food we get to eat? Aren't you glad you have taste buds? Did you know that they get replaced with new ones about every 10 days? Every week or two, God just says, eh, here, have some new ones. Replace the old taste buds. You need some fresh ones like changing the tires on your car or something, you know. Get some fresh ones. Isn't it amazing how God has designed that? Your heart beats over 100,000 times a day, 35 million times a year. When's the last time you said, God, thank you that my heart is beating today? You thank the Lord for clean water to drink and hot water to shower in? You thank the Lord for things you're able to do now that you couldn't do last year because of the pandemic, like go to graduations and weddings? Are you thankful you can hug people? You can go to ball games? You can see your friends at church? I have a friend who's been in the hospital for over two months, he's going to spend this Thanksgiving holiday in a rehab center. But when I go to visit him, he's making the nurses laugh, he's chuckling with people, he's got a sense of humor, he is content because he is finding his joy in the Lord. The secret of contentment is not what you have, it's who you have. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ, 
who gives me strength. For that matter, the very word grateful is related to the word for grace. When's the last time you just said sincerely from your heart, God, thank you for your amazing grace that you have given to me? Are you grateful for everyone here at Connection Point who was baptized here last weekend? Are you grateful? Last week, Pastor John talked about being free in Christ. The truth will set you free. Are you thankful for the ways that God has given you freedom? I saw this interesting story about wildlife officials in Colorado who noticed a 600-pound bull elk that somehow had gotten a car tire stuck around its neck. It walked around with that tire around its neck for two years. They observed it. Finally, they were able to capture the elk, cut off the tire, and set it free. I thought, that poor elk going around with this burden around its neck all that time. But then I thought, but I've gone around with burdens on me, and God has lifted them. And the burdens that I carry now, God is willing to help to carry them that maybe the burdens that you have right now feel really heavy, but God will carry them for you. The Lord can set you free. Earlier this year, there was a military coup in Myanmar, the country we've known through the years as Burma. I have Christian friends there, former students, a missionary friend that my wife and I keep in touch with. He tells us that the Christians have had to flee for their lives just in the region where he lives he said that 160 Christian families in his area had had their houses burned to the ground this year. Marauding soldiers walked onto farms and slaughtered, just killed herds of pigs just to be cruel. It's a terrible time there. But the Christians in Myanmar, he says, are giving thanks in spite of their circumstances and their problems. He said in Myanmar, they celebrate Thanksgiving by bringing fruits and vegetables and household items to donate to the church, and they distribute them to people in need. So even in their hardship, they are coming together, they are giving things that they have to help others who need their ministry as well. Blessings are multiplied when we share them with others. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. So another reason to be grateful, aren't you glad you have something to give, that you can share food with the hungry, you can share good news of Jesus with those who need salvation? There's scientific evidence that gratitude leads to better physical and mental health, better sleep, and higher levels of happiness. So listen, folks, if you are finding it hard to be grateful this year, stand firm in the Lord. Love others in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Find peace and contentment in the Lord. Corrie ten Boom was imprisoned by the Nazis during World War II. She said these words, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed, but if you look to Christ, you'll be at rest. A couple of weeks ago, I drove to Cincinnati to visit a couple of old friends of mine. They were professors that I had had in seminary. One of them is a theologian. One of them is a history professor. Both of them have PhDs. They're very smart guys, and they have devoted their lives to serving the Lord and being faithful servants in his church. They meant a lot to me when I was a student there as a young man, and then now both of them are in a season of their life where both of these men are dealing with cancer, and they are dealing with serious issues. They're staring death in the face. And so I called them up. I took a day, and I spent the morning with one and the afternoon with the other. They both live in the same general area, and I wanted to just let them know how much I appreciated them. 
how much their ministry, their teaching had meant to me. And so I sat with them, the first one in his home, and I talked with him and thanked him. We shed a few tears and laughed a lot about memories of when I was a student and he was my professor. And then I said, would you mind just putting your teacher hat back on for a minute and answering this question? I said, I'm really interested. You've written all this about God all through the years. You've studied so much. But what is the Lord teaching you right now? What's going on in your mind and heart right now? And he said, bring me my Bible. <laughs> and he read from Romans chapter 8, verse 18, these words. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. He said, Dave, I'm living those words every day. I don't like the suffering. I don't like the situation. But every day I'm looking forward to the glory that's ahead. It's way better than anything this earth has. After that, I visited my other friend, the history professor. We had the same kind of talk. I thanked him for his ministry. I expressed my appreciation. I tried to encourage him. And then I just said, would you mind just put your teacher hat on and just tell me, so what's God teaching you right now? What, what words do you have to share with me about what's been going on in your heart? He leaned back in his chair and with great determination, he quoted these words from Job 13, 15. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. With great determination, he said, I'm going to be faithful no matter what. You know what? Paul concluded this great chapter, Philippians chapter 4, with these words, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. What are you in right now? Are you in trouble? Are you in pain? Are you in a mess? Are you in debt? Are you in doubt? If Jesus is your Savior and your Lord, you're not just in trouble. You're not just in a flawed family. You're not just in a sick body. You're not just in a frustrating job. You're not just in a pandemic. You're not just in a country that's being torn apart at the seams. You are in the Lord. You are in Christ. Believe in him. Believe in him. Be baptized into him. Make the choice to rejoice in him and be grateful. Let's pray. Lord God, we praise you because you are the giver of every good and perfect gift. And during this Thanksgiving season, we especially just want to say, Lord, we are grateful for all the things you've done for us for physical blessings, material things that we enjoy, good food to eat. But we also thank you, Lord, for the invisible things that are very real too, for faith and hope and love, for things that are true to believe in, for hope of things that are ahead, for love that surrounds us, Lord, with your love and your care for us, for people that we can love and share your love with. Forgive us, God, for times when we have not been grateful and help us not only this week, but all year round to be people whose cup overflows with gratefulness, grateful hearts for all you've done for us. We rejoice in you, Lord. We will find our contentment not in the things of this world, but in you. You are faithful to us and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray.